Friends, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Joel in the Old Testament. You've got a table of contents. Um, Joel is a very short little book, four chapters. If you haven't been to it lately, you might want to just reference your table of contents to find that book of Joel. Um, And we're going to be in chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the back. If anybody needs a Bible, you could raise your hand. Yeah, um, Dwayne, could you pass out a couple of Bibles? We've got a couple of people here that would like one. Thank you. All right, so um, perhaps um, you remember last week, if you were here or you listened to the sermon, that there was a prophet that God sent to Judah by the name of Isaiah. And this week we're going to hear from a second prophet that God sent to the country of Judah. Joel and Isaiah both sent to the same country with words of warning, words of pending judgment, words of love from a God who loves his people. And wants them to return to him. And so um, this is a short book. It's a short message. And it's a very, very important message that Joel brought to that country. And the Lord brings to us today through the book of Joel. And so as we um, read this, I want you to know that this is for us even as it was for them. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, or that word mourning could be wailing. So return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping and wailing. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders, those that are in spiritual leadership. Gather the children, even those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priest who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? This is God's word to us this morning. Thanks be to God. We're jumping in to a message, and the prophet had already given a word of warning and had described a situation 
that was going to come, a calamity of such proportions that it would be absolutely devastating. He says this and brings this message from God because sin is serious. Sin, you remember scripture tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Sin disrupts shalom. God had everything set perfectly in his creation. And it was sin that broke that shalom. It was sin that caused people to have to be separated from God and face the effects, the consequences of sin. And we talk talk about this as a fallen world. Everything that causes a tear is a result of sin. All right? Think about that. Tears in the new creation, Jesus is going to wipe them away. There's not going to be any more tears. So every tear that we cry, every tear on this earth, somehow is related back to sin. Sin has consequences in our relationship with God. Sin has consequences in our relationships with each other. All you have to do is think about the last time that you did something wrong to somebody, whether it was a mean word or a hostile action or a gossip, and think about the fallout. Sin has consequences in our relationships. Sin has consequences in a nation. One theologian that used to be on the radio out in California walked through the Bible, I think it was called, but he made this observation that the fall of nations in the Bible followed a pattern. Apostasy, so turning away, um, turning away from your beliefs, your Christian beliefs, then spiritual immorality in the nation, and then follows um, political anarchy. And when you see those three things, turning away from your faith, spiritual immorality, rampant, and political anarchy, Those are things that precede the fall of a nation. Sin has serious consequences, and they're not just individual. Sin has a communal impact. It threatens God's mission on earth. And I want us to think about, and maybe you're familiar with, um, in the book of Joshua, Remember Joshua and how um, they fought the Battle of Jericho? Maybe you remember some songs from Sunday school days or youth group, right? An amazing, amazing act of God on behalf of his people that when they're going into the promised land, they follow God's instructions exactly. And what happens? Supernaturally, the walls fall and the city is taken. And God's people advance. The mission is moving forward. 
Amazing. God moved in such power for his people. But they did exactly what he had told them to do. Even they had to put their faith in him, right? And trust him to march around and then march around seven times and blow and, you know, shout. And the walls come down. On the heels of that, he had told them, when you go into there, don't take plunder. There's going to be devoted things to me. Well, guess what? Somebody took some plunder. Somebody took something and hid it under their tent. Some valuables that were supposed to be dedicated to the Lord. And so what happens? The very next um, place that they were supposed to go in, remember, God was giving them the land, and there were going to be people that had to move out in order for them to take the land. So they go to this Next town, they send some spies out, and they say, oh, we don't need to send everybody up, just two or 3,000, just send some of our people up. And they come back with their tails between their legs, so to speak. They, they, were, they were completely devastated and um, loss of life, and it says their hearts were melting in fear. God's people were melting in fear. They had just had this amazing conquering you know, victory, and suddenly fear comes in. And the potential, they have failure, they have fear, and the potential for what is God doing and wanting to do on mission, will they take their land? But it's because Achan sinned, and here's what God said. This is what God's word says, Joshua 7, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan took some of the things, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. And then the Lord said to Joshua, stand up, what are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned, they have violated my covenant, they have taken some of the devoted things, that is why they cannot stand against their enemy. They have, and yet... How do they find out who did it? Tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family, narrow it down, person by person, and all of a sudden it's Achan. God exposes a hidden sin. But he holds the, he says the Israelites have sinned. We are so individualistic as a nation that we forget the communal aspect of how God looks at us as a people. And so what you do matters. What I do matters. What each of us do, whether we're obedient or disobedient, can result in failure on mission if we have hidden sin, if we aren't obeying God's word. When Achan was confronted and called out, Joshua said to him, My son, give glory to the Lord and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan confesses his sin. Give glory to the Lord and confess your sin. Honor God by speaking about what it is that you've done. Sin is serious. Sin has communal impact. And here, God is sending another prophet to the same country. Maybe they don't know 
when did Isaiah speak and when did um, Joel come with this warning? Somewhere two, three, four hundred years apart, possibly. But what sins were they committing? And possibly what generational sins had handed down? How had they been formed by their fathers and their fathers and their fathers and their mothers? I don't want to omit the women and our ability to sin. Right? All right. So what were the sins? Well, we know that idolatry, turning to somebody else, turning to something else other than God was prevalent. Pride. Think about that. Pride. I think I know better than you. I think I know better than God. I think I know what I want. Achan, maybe because he came out of slavery, was just, instead of trusting God, like he saw something valuable and he thought, I'm just going to take that because just in case I need it later. Instead of trusting God. But it influenced the whole Community. Complacency. Complacency. There's not real, as you look through Joel and you're trying to find, what are these big sins that must have been going on? What do we see? Return to me with all your heart. Apparently there are hearts weren't wholeheartedly turned to the Lord. Complacency. Apathy. Just living life for myself. Some, some people say Christians really are practical atheists because they're not living with their lives focused wholeheartedly on God. Does that describe me some days? Does that describe you? When we were in Egypt and learning how they build these temples, they put this cornerstone or this four-cornered stone in the middle of the building, and everything else that was built around it was oriented to where that stone was. Jesus is to be the cornerstone. He's to be the center of our lives. Everything that we do should revolve around him. But where is our focus on Monday and Tuesday night and Thursday? And where is our focus when things are hard in the world? And where is our focus when we're scared or we're challenged or whatever the situation might be? Are we turning to him? Are we oriented to him with our whole lives? He gives the remedy. He says, Return to me with all your heart. That means repent. Turn. Turn back. Repent. Turn to me with all of your heart. With fasting, weeping, and wailing. Rend your heart and not your garments. When they were mourning, they would rip their robes to wear Some people say they were absolutely like naked. They were just completely exposed, sit down in the ashes. And that was a sign of grief. And God's saying, don't go through the motions if you're sinning. Don't go through the motions without bothering to also make your heart naked to me. 
rend your heart. Let your heart be broken. The emoji that shows the like fracture line in a heart. Let your heart be broken over your sin. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. What is the proper response when you sin? What is the proper response when I sin? We've been looking at some scriptures this week, thinking about our sin, thinking about our family sin, thinking about ways that as a church, as a denomination, we sin. Scripture tells us, gives us a picture of a really remorseful heart. David, remember King David? Remember his sin? Shared right in the scripture. Rape. Child out of wedlock. Had the husband murdered. He says this, Psalm 51 written as a response. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And then this, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And then he goes on to say, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. When we have sinned, What we do shows where our love really is. Am I concerned about myself and what consequences might happen? Or am I actually concerned that I have sinned against God himself, his holiness? Remember when Isaiah saw the Lord, he says, Whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. He saw the holiness of God and he was grieved. Are we grieved that we have, we're the ones who are supposed to image, like his image we're supposed to reflect? We're supposed to embody his kingdom? And so, are our hearts broken that we're not bringing glory to him? Do we recognize? I know a while back, I was just, I felt like the Lord was asking me to go away and to go through my whole life and think through my whole life and every sin I had ever committed as best I could remember and to spend time praying about it. Like I had confessed sins, but had my heart really been sorry about it. And I, I tried to make amends with people because my sin impacted other people. The Lord wants, he's looking for a heart that's wholeheartedly his, that will rend our hearts, that will open them up to him, 
to his love and grace, trusting that he loves us. Some of these words in Joel are actually repeats from Exodus and the marriage covenant, the, the, the covenant language of love. I haven't told you specifically what Joel had warned of, but what Joel had warned of was an army of locusts that was going to come in like a cloud and was going to tear down and chow down everything that was living, and they would be wiped out. Their commerce would be wiped out. Their food, they would be lacking for food. And there, the, the religious sacrificial system, there would be no, no juice for drink offerings. There would be no bread or, or animals because the animals wouldn't have food either. He is saying, if you don't return to me, I'm going to love you with a severe mercy. I'm going to send this plague, this swarm. I don't know, and I don't want to make any predictions about what the Lord may have in store for our nation. But I find it concerning that, hopeful and concerning, that the Lord has put on so many churches and ministries the need for 21 days, 40 days of prayer and fasting. When there's a call for corporate Fasting, it was an acknowledgement. We have sin. We communally are acknowledging and we're humbling ourselves in this way. We're going to fast and we're going to ask you to turn up the heat, Lord. Search our hearts. And I believe the Lord has been doing this. He's been, by his spirit, he's been revealing and inviting you to consider how have you sinned? How has the church sinned? How have, because when the church, when we say the church, we're not judging others. We're a part of the body. But how we respond, whether we turn to him with our whole hearts and repent, it has very much, I believe, impact on his desire to send revival And even to perhaps relent and not send calamity. And again, I'm not saying I know the Lord sending calamity or there's pending doom. But how many people you've perhaps heard a sense that something's happening in our world. Just a sense that something may happen soon. Something serious. And I want to say we can do our part. By throwing ourselves on the mercy of God, hiding ourselves in the cleft of the rock, listening to his word and not just listening, but being obedient. So if we've taken anything into our lives, into our thoughts, into our words, into our actions that is against his word, today's the day. Let's confess it. Let's get it out in the open. Let's lay it down. And trust as we turn wholeheartedly to him 
that he'll forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a sober message, but it's so hopeful. The book of Joel goes on, and we'll talk more about that. But he loves us, and I think this is so encouraging, a hint of the hope. At the very beginning of his message, he says, Tell this to your children, and let your children tell it to their children, and their children to the next generation. So the Lord has plans to prosper us, and not to harm us, not to abolish us, not to kill us. But yet, he loves us so much that he won't let us go on. If there's any, if there's any way that we're hiding sin, if there's any way that we're participating in sin or being complicit by not speaking up, or even by association, we're part of a denomination, we're part of a group of churches in this nation. Are we allowing wrong teaching? Are we allowing anything? Are we compromising in any way? I'm not going to name those ways because you were asked to come prepared. And even now, the Lord may be putting something on your heart, something that you want to say, I repent, or on behalf of the church, I repent. We acknowledge that we've done this wrong or that wrong. I believe the Lord wants to bring the refrigerator cleaning and the joy that comes after, but it involves humbling ourselves, opening up, and and as a body, Sometimes when we confess things, it's actually asking for help, encouragement, accountability as we share things that we need prayer for or that we need um, somebody to encourage us as we walk in this way. Let's pray. Lord, if there's um, anything that you would like us to Confess, Lord, you say confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, that you may be saved. Lord, if there's any pending calamity, if there's any judgment against our nation, if there's any risk of compromise in the mission of your church being used to bring revival, Lord, I pray that you'd purify us now, that you cleanse us now. Lord, that we would give glory and honor to you by confessing and naming and bringing to light anything that needs to be brought there. Lord, we thank you that your perfect love drives out fear. And so I ask now, Lord, that you would just help us bring to our minds things that we want to together name before you as an act of a broken and contrite heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.